You're listening to The Thrive Podcast, where every week we dive into a practical, tactical tip to bring you from a life of simply surviving to thriving. It's personal development for the everyday girl who is done with coasting through her days, done with feeling like she's missing out on the deeper meaning of her own life, and done with mediocrity once and for all. Because it's not enough to simply survive, you deserve to thrive. Welcome back to Thrive. Today we're chatting with my new friend, Michelle, a multi six-figure entrepreneur and mama of three who's great at figuring it out, trusting herself, and thriving through life's unexpected curveballs. Michelle keeps it real in figuring out your motivation for doing something. Like, is it fear-based? She drops practical advice on navigating the unexpected in business, like the time she lost three clients in one day at eight months pregnant. Whether you're a newer entrepreneur needing tips from a seasoned boss lady or just needing a reminder on how trustworthy you really are in decision-making within your own life, we hope Michelle's personal mantra resonates for you too. She always says, I'm going to work it till it works. Stay tuned through this conversation. Drop it five stars if you like what you're listening to. And now, welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for having me, Erica. Yay, welcome to Thrive. We're basically the same person because we're both type A, high-achieving women in business, and also moms, and also in Pennsylvania, which we just learned a hot <laughs> we second We just ago. learned. <laughs> we so, are the same person. We're even wearing like a similar color. We're both blue wearing shirt. blue. So, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how much more similar it can get. I know that's we're on a, we're on a roll. So, um, t- we'll, we're about to find out how much more else we have in common. <laughs> Tell us your story. <laughs> yeah. So I've been in business for five years now. Um, a little over five years. I started my business when my oldest, I have three boys at home and my oldest was six months old at the time. I thought it'd be fun to start a business right after having a baby. Um, so there's that. <laughs> um, but no, truthfully, like having a baby changed things for me. I, wanted something different. I kind of always knew I would start a business, but I think I thought it would happen when I was in my fifties and the kids were grown and all of that good stuff. Um, and luckily I didn't listen to that or didn't abide by that timeline. And so I started my business and I started out doing full service marketing, meaning I was doing the work for my clients, social media, website, copy, blogging, you name it. I did it. And I moved into coaching about a year and a half into business because I saw an opportunity with women who are total rock stars who, you know, are starting their businesses, um, but need somebody to come alongside them as a partner and guide them, not necessarily do the work for them. And so since then I've been coaching, love it. Um, my business has grown. My family has grown. I've added two children since then. Um, and I, I really, truly love what I do. I do it even if I didn't have to. And I think that is obviously so important. And that's probably a big part of why I've had success in business. Absolutely. So talk to us about the balancing act of it all (laughs) and how things really shifted for you both personally and professionally for your business. Once you started a family and once you started growing your family too. Yeah. So first off, I'm your listeners can't see this, but I'm wearing a shirt that says tired as a mother. So I don't know if I'm fully balancing it. Can relate. (laughs) Yeah. My kids went back to school today at the time we're recording this. So, um, praise God, but you know, it's a, I'm getting up at like an hour and a half earlier because my oldest is in kindergarten and we have to go to school an hour earlier. So it's a whole thing, but you know, I have a village. My husband is very supportive. He is also self-employed. So that certainly helps things. Although his schedule is less flexible than mine. Um, we obviously have the kids in school. We've got, you know, a nanny, a part-time nanny for the the youngest. 
but I didn't start there. Like, I think that's important to note that that's me now over five years in business. I didn't start there. And so when I started, I mean, gosh, to have a six month old at home, right. That was a balancing act. And so for me getting clear on what was possible, like what I could do versus what I felt like I should do, but maybe wasn't that important. And it's taken me a while to kind of figure that out. But I think we're always in that ever evolving process of, of learning that, um, I think leaning on help and support and not trying to do everything at once or all in one day, I would say those are definitely the things that have helped me. Gosh, you said so many important nuggets there where I'm just like, yep, 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 yep. (laughs) (laughs) What did that process look like for you? Because you said something there that I think is really important in figuring out what you could do and not necessarily continuously pushing what you feel like you should do. So can you talk to us about the difference there? Because I know that's something I've personally experienced and I see so many women, especially I think people like us who are, do you know your Enneagram? Are you three? three? Yep. I'm a three. Yep. (laughs) So, okay. Another similarity. There we go. Of course. Yeah. So like, I think this also is a three thing where like, we are just by our nature, always pushing for success or pushing for more and pushing what we feel like we should do and kind of having to tailor that back a little bit to what we can do, depending on what's going on in life, that could be really, really hard and also frustrating and totally against what feels like our nature. So talk to us about what that looked like for you. Yeah. I mean, I think I had to get really honest with myself and ask myself, like, why are you doing this? Like, what's the motivation behind this particular thing, right? Whatever it might be. What's the motivation? If the motivation is because I'm afraid that someone's going to judge me, I'm trying to please somebody, I'm trying to, you know, keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. I'm, you know, whatever the motivation is, like that will tell you whether it's something that you should actually do. So a lot of, a lot of my motivation was fear-based, right? And that's why I shouldn't have done those things. (laughs) Absolutely. I know you're also a bit of a pro at uh, expecting and really handling the unexpected and I've yes. had some pretty wild things happen in your own biz. So I have, yeah. Tell us, a, tell us a story or two and some lessons learned here on thriving through the unexpected stuff that pops up when you're running your own business, because Lord knows you've had a few. Yeah, I have. One of them happened about a year into business. This is a story that is probably the most prominent, but I think it's, it's very powerful. I lost three clients in one day, which at the time was basically like 80% or more of my client base. Cause it wasn't very big. I was a year into business. Um, they were all for unexpected reasons, like things that were outside of my control. It's not like I did a bad job or we had an issue or something. I almost would have rather that been the case. Cause you can fix that. You can address that. No, it was very much, um, like just like, I think the first client told me that they were pausing all of their contracts because receivables were down. Um, the other client, uh, my direct contact, like got fired (laughs) that day. And so they were put pausing everything. And then the third client was actually somebody who had said that they were going to sign on and then backed out. They were supposed to, to start work with me that week. So I'm still considering them a client because they had said yes. Um, that was like big. And, and what made it even more challenging is this was two months before I was due with my second child. Ooh. So I was still doing full service. I hadn't changed to coaching. And who's going to hire me on a retainer package when I've got you know a baby coming, right? And so I remember sitting there on my living room couch, looking at the wall and thinking like, I could just quit right now. Like, like maybe I should, you know, I entertained that thought. 
And then I like indulged myself in some ice cream and like sorrow and like felt sorry for myself for a while. And then I decided the next day, like 24 hours later, like, no, I'm not going to quit. I've come this far. And what ended up happening shortly after that, I, I can't remember if it was like a matter of days. It might've been a matter of weeks. I'm not entirely sure, but very soon after I ended up connecting with somebody in another Facebook group of an entrepreneur who needed someone to help her market, um, a conference that she was running. And she was like two months out. The conference was two months away and she hadn't really sold many spots. It was the perfect short-term package, like offer, you know, a contract, I guess I'll say. Um, that fit really well with me having a baby. And it actually turned into a two-year relationship because she loved the work we did together. So I share that because I want everybody to see the full picture of that, right? I didn't know that that contract was coming when I decided to recommit to my business and not give up. I just had to have faith and trust that it was going to work out and not only trust that it was going to work out in like a blind way, but trust that I could figure it out Mm. and that I had the capacity to figure it out. So trust in myself. That's such an important thing in entrepreneurship, I guess in life in general too, but especially entrepreneurship because you and I both know this so well. It's like, if you are especially doing things where you're in charge of your own income, you don't have a salary or this biweekly paycheck that's guaranteed, that's, it's a totally different headspace than if you're in maybe a more traditional nine to five capacity or really any other more regular quote unquote kind of job that has a regular paycheck. So it really does push the limits in terms of your faith in yourself and your trust in your abilities. When you are in this space where you don't necessarily know where your next paycheck is coming from or when it's coming or what it might look like. And you're really kind of on your game all the time to try to negotiate new things, pitch yourself for new opportunities, be on the lookout for what's coming in inbound to you it's a really, it's the wild, wild west. Sometimes it is the wild, wild west. You're absolutely right. But the constant and the true security in all of that is you. Yes. Not your circumstances, not your surroundings. Absolutely. What do you think is the most important mindset shift that entrepreneurs or women in particular need to take to go from that feeling of panic? Like, okay, where's it going to come from to feeling more secure in, you know what? I don't know where it's coming from, but I know that I've got it. I will tell you the number one thought that has made me a multi-six figure business owner. I'm going to work it till it works. AKA I'm going to figure it out until I figure it out. Love Notice that. how I didn't say like, it's going to work perfectly every single time, hundred percent of the time, or I'm going to be perfect. I'm going to work it till it works. Boom. Done. I love that that. motivates me to, to put myself in positions to try new things and potentially fail, but keep going even after. Absolutely. That's so good. So since you went also from having, I know part of your thing was you also had like so many clients in a month and you had that whole experience of really taking on so much work and just not necessarily having the paycheck. Yeah. Undercharging. Oh, totally. It was like 12 clients, barely 2000 a month. I will let your listeners do the math on that one. Not my finest hour. Yeah. Cringy, but we've all been there. Totally been there myself. Can relate. Um, give us, give our fellow business-minded friends some tips on increasing your client conversion rate so that you can get closer to this place of truly living comfortably and making more money that you want to be making without feeling like you are just dying in the process. Yeah. And I just want to point out that comfort is a relative term because like there's, there is no amount of money that will make you comfortable. 
There's, there really isn't. I'm uncomfortable every day and I'm making more money in my business than I ever have. And so I just want to like point that out to everybody that I think comfort is such an interesting word. Right. And we all use it. Mm -hmm. Um, your question around like, what is, you know, how can they increase their conversion rate and, and, you know, land clients faster and at prices that are actually reasonable. I think some of that comes with growing your own audience, which is why I'm so passionate about that. I'm passionate about it because I think when you always have people that you're nurturing and you're building relationships with, that's true freedom and security in your business, right? That's when you're able to land clients whenever you want. That's when people, because you've taken the time to build a relationship with them, they're pre-sold on what you offer, um, even before they get on the call. And I think a lot of people jump to calls pretty quickly without necessarily taking the time to build that relationship. Um, one of the things that I pride myself on with my team is, is we address objections in our content, in our copy. We don't wait until they get on a sales call to give us the objections. So we warm people up and we get them to a place where they're like, I really want to work with Michelle. Right. And so that helps certainly with conversions. I I think that's going to be very useful for your people. And so for us, it's a Facebook group, like for you, it might not be right. Listeners. Um, it might be, you know, an audience on any platform. Right. But the point is, is that you are finding people and connecting with people who want to know more about you, right. That you're taking the time to build those relationships versus expecting clients to just fall on your doorstep. They don't, if they did, I would tell you guys how to figure that out, but they don't. (laughs) So what's your sort of strategy then between the content that you're creating and putting out there just for public consumption versus a more individualized relationship building nurturing sort of approach. Yep. We have a, we have a lead tracker that we use and we share this with all of our clients. We have a system for tracking leads. So content is a vehicle to connect with people, right? It's a vehicle to get people learning more about you. Once we see how people respond to our content, then we start the lead tracking process. So if we see someone as an example, who is showing up and watching our lives or commenting repeatedly on our content in our group, we'll, we'll notice names. Right. And that will send a signal to us like, Hey, they seem like a warm lead. Right. And we'll track them. Meaning we add them to our lead tracker. If we have information about them, like we, we make sure we know that. And then we start a conversation, right? That conversation usually starts in the Facebook group itself and then moves into like a DM conversation once things warm up a little bit. Um, But the point being like we use our content as a way to number one, introduce people to who we are, but then also start to warm them up. And once we see that people are warmed up, that's when the process becomes much more individualized. Like we have segments of our um, lead tracker where, okay, someone's showing up in our Facebook group. Ooh, now they've booked a call because we've been chatting or we invited them to book a call. Now they're attending the sales call. Like then it starts to become more personalized. Um, I've had people in my group, like come in and like message me first to tell me how much they love my content. And that's when the relationship becomes a little more personal. So hopefully that, I mean, that's a very like simplistic view of, of my system, but I think simple is always best we use our content to bring the leads to us. Right. I mean, it doesn't mean that we don't like reach out to people. Like we send everybody who joins our group, a welcome message so that we can learn a little bit more about them. Some people don't respond. Some people do. And, um, I think then they, they usually get warmed up through our content and then end up always kind of coming back and talking about how their content 
or how our content was relevant to their needs. And that's when it becomes very much like, okay, a one-on-one conversation. So we have a whole system for how we track that because without that, you're not going to be able to remember like who you're talking with. You're not going to be able to follow up properly because some people come into our group and they're not ready to buy. Usually it's an average of 90 days before someone buys. So we, you know, don't expect to just get people on a sales call from day one. We want to serve them. We want to, um, show them that we understand the challenges that they have. And when you do that, when you put yourself in the other person's shoes, that's when it feels personal to them, even before you have a personal conversation. So good. Kind of going off of the piggybacking off of expecting the unexpected, like we were talking about earlier, since so much of your own business is based on Facebook, what's your game plan? If Facebook goes away tomorrow, realistically, I'm guessing that would never happen, but since obviously we don't own the platform and it's public social media, what do you do if, if there's a total curveball thrown into your system like that. I love this question. And I have to say, I've done other podcast interviews where I've talked about Facebook groups and no one's asked me that. So I love that. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I'm sure I'd be like bummed about it. Right. I'm not going to lie. I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be the best day. <laughs> like it wouldn't rank as a, as a great day, but, um, I wouldn't be devastated over it because if you know how to build a community on Facebook, you can build a community anywhere. It's not people place so much emphasis. I think on the platform itself, it's not about the group. Nobody cares that I have a Facebook group. Nobody's like, Ooh, Michelle Vroom has a Facebook group. Let me just go join it. They care about what's happening inside of the group. And I can replicate that anywhere. I can put out content anywhere. So if Facebook were to shut down tomorrow, I would rebuild a community somewhere else. And I wouldn't worry about it because I have repeatable skills. It's not about Facebook, these skills, these, the, you know, me growing my Facebook group. Yeah, I did it on Facebook, but those skills are not specific to Facebook. And I think that's powerful. Like if you know how to build relationships that will outlast any kind of fad cough clubhouse, um, any kind of anything, right? Like any sudden unexpected thing, like Facebook shutting down. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's so that's- true. And it's so important. Yeah, I think that's so good. And I think it's, it's important to also couple that my two cents on this is also to have a platform or some sort of thing that you fully own. Oh yeah. Build an email list while you do it. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Like your eggs should never be in one social media basket anyway. Um, because you don't own that social media platform a thousand percent, every single, well, I shouldn't say every single, but majority of people in my Facebook group are also on my email list. Yeah. Anytime someone joins our group, there's an opportunity for them to get added to our email list. We are doing both at the same time. And I think that's important to note too, that there's a system in place to make sure that we are capturing those people as well, because we've had people join our group, get added to our email list, start receiving our emails and then sign on from an email, right? Like it doesn't really matter how it happened. It's all part of the experience of being in our, our world and in our community. And that's a key thing there too, because you thought that through ahead of time where, okay, if Facebook shuts down tomorrow, you don't have a need to panic because you actually already have the contact information for everybody who was in that group. So you're not just losing all of these people in thin air. Hypothetically, you could just create an email, blast it out to everybody and say, Hey, all Facebook went away, but no worries. Here's where we're going to next. Come join us on this platform instead. So you already have those touch points in place where you don't have to freak out if Facebook does go away because you did your due diligence ahead of time to make sure that that's not where all of your eggs are. 
I'm going to call myself out though. Cause I think you're giving me a lot of credit. I did not have a very solid plan when I started my group though. I did start my group with a challenge. It started as a way to house challenge videos. So I, you're right. I was collecting information, but I don't think I realized <laughs> the benefit to doing that until I started my group. And like, even after, and I say this because I know some people might be listening to this who are like, well, I, I didn't figure it out from the beginning. I didn't have a good strategy from the beginning. And I want them to know I didn't either. And I figured it out as I went, right. I put myself in positions to fail and fall down, but then get back up because I learned to your point, how important it is to grow an email list. So thank you for the credit, but I do want to call myself out a little bit. I did not have a solid strategy when I started this. And I always just uh, say to people like, it's okay. If you didn't, it's okay. If you didn't, it's not going to be perfect. And that's okay. Yes. I love that though, because honestly, I think that there more often times than not are a lot of happy accidents in business. Ooh, I love that term. Happy accident. Yes. I mean, because I see this happen all the time where in across so many different industries where people just look like they're killing it. But if you actually talk to them, they, they might not have even had a strategy. Like they might, it literally became, they were in the right place at the right time. Like fell into it. <laughs> yes. And they took right. off what, right. and, and people are looking from the outside, looking in going, wow, they must really know what right. they're doing, or they must have their, right. they have it together. Like they figured it out, but they, they either figured it out as they went, like you said, or they're still figuring it out. They, and they literally luckily happened upon something. And I think, especially in the world of social media that we live in, where there are so many different algorithms that nobody actually, I mean, if you talk to engineers from Facebook or Instagram on the phone, like I've done before, they themselves do not know how their algorithms work because they're machine run algorithms. Like, (laughs) so it literally is a matter of luck sometimes how growth happens or how certain things pick up or take off or go viral or whatever that kickstart the domino effect of success for people. So I think that that's an important thing for other aspiring entrepreneurs, business owners, whatever to remember is that there is happy accidents do happen. And sometimes that is the thing that kickstarts some success for people. So don't beat yourself up if you are strategically doing something and not necessarily seeing what you think is the same or success that you should be having compared to some people who maybe don't seem like they have strategy in place, but just so happened to be killing it. Yeah. So if someone is operating, mic drop, can we, mic, can we, can we do <laughs> mic drop right after that? <laughs> oh my gosh. Honored, honored. But, uh, <laughs> if, if someone is operating their business or really their life yeah. from a place of fear mm-hmm. and they're scared of these sort of unexpected things, ruining everything, or just really suffering from a case of limiting beliefs, like where the whole, they're second guessing everything along the way. What's your advice to them to really overcome that and show up with confidence and just keep going? My advice is really, I think number one, like looking at what you're afraid will happen. Um, like, I think, I think we, we blow things up to be bigger than they actually are. Um, like we, we worry ourselves into this, this cycle and the thing that actually happens may not be as bad as we thought it was going to be. So I think sometimes we can create or make situations worse with our thoughts, I guess. But really what I would say is, you know, look at what you're afraid of. Like, what are you afraid will happen and why? What if it does happen? Like sometimes, and and this might sound strange, but sometimes I'll take my clients down the rabbit hole. Like, okay, let's, I mean, within reason, right? 
let's, let's explore worst case scenario. What if this does happen? What will you do? How will you handle it? And sometimes just that question alone helps them shift. And they're like, oh, well, if that happened, I would do X, Y, and Z. And I'm like, okay. And they're like, oh, okay. (laughs) Right. Like, all right. It's just, we don't even want to think about worst case scenario or entertain it because we're afraid if I think about it, it's going to happen. Or we're afraid really truly of our feelings about worst case scenario. That's what we're afraid of. Not worst case scenario itself. And so sometimes just asking yourself, what would I do if it happened? Like shows you that you have the capability to handle whatever comes your way. That's so good. I feel like I heard something similar on the TV show. This is us. I forget what they called it. I used to watch it. I stopped watching it this season, but I think I know what you're talking about. Yeah. They like made, they had some game where it was literally like a a worst case scenario kind of thing where it was like, all right, what is, think of the absolute worst thing that could happen. Yeah. And then how are you going to handle it? Yeah. And there has to be limits to this, right? Otherwise you'll totally go down the rabbit hole. But I do think (laughs) stopping and asking yourself some of those questions is really important when it comes to establishing those beliefs, because in order to do, to do that, to establish new beliefs, you have to challenge the ones that you currently hold. Mm. So good. And I think that kind of comes full circle to what you were saying earlier about really just approaching everything with an attitude of, I'm going to figure this out. Like I've got this trusting yourself in the process, because then you're able to more logically approach things because you already have it in your head. Like, you know what? I can figure this out knowing that you might not have the answers right now, but you know how to get answers or, you know, how to have access to answers or how to use Google or phone a friend or whatever the case might be to figure it out. So that no, really, no matter what happens, no matter what unexpected thing comes your way, you have the resources at your disposal or someone that, you know, has the resources at their disposal and you'll be able to figure it out and handle it and move forward and it'll be okay. A thousand percent. And I think what you said about, you know, you know, you have the capacity to figure out the answer. We expect ourselves to have all the answers. That's part of the problem. You know, it's not about having all the answers. Do you know how to figure out the answer? You probably do. Right. And I think that's really, really important as well. Um, and something that hopefully can be encouraging for people. I also think like, how do you build that trust in yourself? You take action. You put your, like, you don't hide, you don't run and hide and curl up in a corner and never do anything in your business or in your life. That's actually going to foster less trust, right? Because you're never taking chances. You're never putting yourself in a position to need to trust yourself. Mm -hmm. I think that's important too. So good. You have to actually prove it to yourself sometimes. You can't prove it. You don't actually try it. Nope. 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 It's not just a, you can't just create trust out of thin air. Exactly. Oh, that's so good. All right. I want to get things wrapped up by asking you something that I ask every thrive guest. And that is what does thrive mean to you? And how do you strive to thrive in your everyday life? To me, thrive is not about doing it all. It's not even really about balance. It's about me prioritizing what's important to me in the, in the season of business and life, right? Cause what's important to me now when my kids are, you know, range from ages one to five may not be important to me when they're all in school. Right. And so I think, you know, just prioritizing in the present moment, like what's most important and making time for that stuff is what it means to thrive. How do I do it in my daily life? Um, I mean, I don't always do it well, but I check in with myself. I have a schedule that I stick to. I, um, leave time in my day to take care of myself. Like something so simple as going to the bathroom and sitting down and eating lunch. Like I used to never do those things. Right. Um, and so I think for me, it's just always an ongoing process. Like even just to be fully transparent, 
today the kids are back at school for the first time. Um, two weeks ago, I had a meltdown, mini meltdown because my schedule was so crazed and I wasn't leaving myself that time. And so I had to create a brand new schedule that involved moving around a good chunk of my clients, rescheduling a bunch of things so that I could create a new schedule for the back to school season with our family. And I did that because that's what it means to thrive for me is making time for those priorities. Even if it means that it's inconvenient, I'm sure it wasn't convenient for some of my clients to move around our reoccurring calls, but we did it anyway. Right. That's where I had to put my needs first, because I know that if I do that and if I thrive, my family thrives, my, my husband, my kids, my clients thrive, like my team thrives, everybody thrives. Yes. Oh, so, so, so good. Michelle, I can't thank you enough for coming on Thrive. Tell everybody where they can find you online to connect with you more, join your Facebook group, all that good stuff. Yeah. I had come hang out with me inside my Facebook group market, like a boss. There are nearly 6,000 women in there, um, all at different stages of thriving who are incredible, um, entrepreneurs, incredible women, um, would love to see you in there. It's called market like a boss. So just search for it, um, in Facebook and, and you'll find it. And I talk more about some of the stuff that we've discussed today, um, you know, working through fear, handling the unexpected. So it's a great place to be. And I would love to connect with you there. Wait, before you go, make sure you're subscribed to never miss an episode of Thrive. Drop five stars on your way out if you like what you just listened to. And come join the party on Instagram at thrive.podcast to stay inspired and thriving all week long. Thanks for tuning in. It's your time to thrive.